0: Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. We're in a series called Things That God Never Said. Stuff you hear people and old Christians say, and you hear it in the world, and God said, I never said that. So we're going to look at some of them. Last week, we talked about the statement we hear occasionally, God helps those who help themselves, and we discovered, not true at all, God helps those who cannot help themselves, and we saw that to the glory of God. You can watch that or listen to it on our podcast. But today, something new. Now, another one, we just keep taking them one at the time. There's a man who has an opportunity to talk to God, ask him anything he wants. So he asked him questions that only God could answer. His first question is, God, what's a billion years like to you? And God said, well, a billion years for me is like one second. The man said, wow, well, what about a billion dollars? What's a billion dollars like to you? God says, well, a billion dollars is like one penny. So the guy, smart Alec, gets clever. He said, God, can I have a penny? God says, of course you can. Just give me a second. Okay, maybe that joke wasn't all that funny, but it's a perfect introduction because today we're taking a look at some of the common things we think God said that are misattributed to God or the Bible. So it's important to look at some of these things because if your understanding and view of God is off, just even a little bit, it can be a major stumbling block in your ability to know Him, worship Him, or trust Him. So I want us all to understand God's Word. I want us all to grow in our understanding. In other words, if I know God's Word, you can't deceive me. You can't trick me. You You can't defraud me. But the Bible talks about if you don't grow up, you don't know Scripture, if you're not mature, you're like a little baby who believes in a a fat guy coming down a chimney you don't have, right? Right, or an Easter bunny laying eggs. Now, we love to celebrate the occasion and have our children have fun, but only a child actually believes that. So we got 60-year-old children who believe almost anything they hear without knowing that's not in the Bible or what is in the Bible, see? So we wanna learn and do this on a weekly basis. So that's why we did this little series. That's why we have grow groups like Pursuit. And what happens on Sunday is important, of course. But that's just the start of my spiritual development. The phrase we're gonna look at today is the one everybody has heard. Money is the root of all evil. How many of you have ever heard that one before? Come on. Money is the root of evil, all evil how many of you think that's in the Bible? How many of you think God said that? No, my grandmother said that. God didn't say that. So it's important whenever we read the Bible or when we study scripture, not to pull a phrase or a partial phrase out of the the Bible, out of context, how it was used, and use it to make a point falsely. Because the verses and the Scriptures are always part of a bigger conversation written to a particular people at a particular time to address a particular problem or situation. So when we read the Scriptures, we have to take context in mind. And if we just pull a phrase out like money is the root of all evil, that can be dangerous to misapply that to the Bible and the intention of God in making this statement. If you just take that phrase, money is the root of all evil, now that sounds pretty straightforward. So we might think money's bad. It's evil. We should avoid it. Stay away from money. Warning, warning, warning. But if we take the phrase, money is the root of all evil, and we take it out of context, then we add it to some other warnings and admonitions that we find in the Bible. It's pretty easy to jump to the conclusion that it's better to be poor than rich. And you ain't buying that. Or it's better to have less than more. That a life of poverty is more spiritual than a life of wealth. You just get insane with this kind of thinking. For instance, when we hear Jesus teach in the gospels, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, we can hear that out of context And we can say, well, being rich and being wealthy is a bad thing. It's next to impossible to enter heaven if you have a lot of resources. And of course, that's foolish. What about the time when a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, observe all the commands. He said, well, I've done all that since I was a youth. Then Jesus says, okay, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, I just lifted this out of context to a guy who probably inherited his wealth. He's covetous towards it, and Jesus is knowing his thought and intent is going after something in this young man. He's not giving that to us. See, we can hear that and say, well, oh my gosh, that must mean having a lot of things, having a lot of wealth or riches, not good. So it's spiritually better to have less than than more. If you have too much, you, you might get in trouble with God. So here's the thing. Some of us might actually believe that to be true. Throughout church history, there have been some saints, notable people like Saint Francis of Assisi and Mother Teresa who took vows of poverty. And we look up to them and we put them on pedestals. And even today in our world, we can look around at the disparity between the rich and the poor and become very uncomfortable or uneasy about possessions or riches. But money is morally neutral. It doesn't have a soul. It isn't good. It isn't bad. It's just paper. It's a tool. See? Money is money doesn't make you do anything. If a drug deal just went down inside church and somebody dropped a hundred dollar bill out of it and I'm walking out to the cafe for a coffee and to say hello to a few people and I pick up that drug money, it's no longer drug money, it's my money. <laughs> and it's not going to make me become a drug dealer. That, that tool is going to manifest whatever's in Rick Godwin. Simple. Some of them are too poor to be bad. In other words, should they get that billion-dollar lotto, then what's in them will now be able to come out. It didn't make you go bad. It allowed the bad in you to get out. See, if I win that billion dollars, you're gonna be sitting in a paid for sanctuary. It's not gonna make anything bad, it's gonna be good. So get, get over the idea money has a, a soul and it makes you bad or it'll turn you into a drug dealer or some idiot. No, 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 you were an idiot before. It just, it just helped you be bad, bigger, that's all. So money is morally neutral. Money is God's idea. Money is what God gives to his people. It's a blessing. It's a tool. But the idea that money and wealth are evil can show up in our hearts and then our thinking. And if that happens, that's very dangerous. For instance, how many of you have ever resented somebody wealthier than you? How many of you have ever had a judgmental thought towards somebody who drives a really nice car? or somebody who wears fancy clothes or lives in a really big house. How many of us have ever held somebody like that in contempt, right? Have you ever come across somebody else's social media and you see something they posted online? Maybe they're showing a new purchase. Maybe it was a new car. Maybe dinner at a fancy exclusive restaurant. You see, if we misunderstand the way God thinks about money and possessions, we can easily fall into the trap of resenting people who have a lot of it, and we can spiritually justify that feeling, or worse, we might feel morally or spiritually superior to people who are wealthier if we just take that phrase, only a partial phrase, out of context money is the root of all evil. And then we apply that to our thinking, and it's so wrong. See, without really understanding what God thinks about money and possessions, you can go to an extreme. On one hand, you can uphold the gospel of poverty, teaching the way to be truly spiritual is to be broke and poor, which is why we don't have revival in all the poor areas of our city. We have high crime, murder, rape, robbery. Oh, it's a blessing to be poor. Really? Ask the people who live there. Are you you with me? This is not, this open book quiz, folks. it's easy. No, it's not spiritual to be poor. On the other hand, we can easily go to an extreme with prosperity. And, And the idea that the good life is about using all of my money, all of my possessions for my own happiness. And God wants us to be happy, Rick. So if we're really good Christians, he'll give me more money. Now, that's an extreme wrong view. Now, I think we all know that either extreme is dangerous, the prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel. God wants you to prosper righteously. That's a good thing, right? But when you take it to an extreme, it gets a little goofy. there's actually nothing spiritual about poverty. There is no one who has actually become better off by becoming poor. In fact, we'll give an altar call. If you'd like to be poor, I'm going to pray for you. And I won't have anybody come down. Dallas Willard, who wrote The Spirit of Disciplines, really wrestled with this dynamic, and he devoted an entire chapter to it, writing this. The idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Riches are not holy. Riches are not evil. It is simply a creation, a tool we use for God. Money is a valuable resource and it can be a great source of blessing to the world. We can use it to fund missions, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to care for the needy, to heal the sick, to help those who are seeking spiritually find and follow Jesus of course. See, the, and, and the more I have, the more I can do, the more I can help. If it's more blessed to give than receive, you got to have something. Hello. The money we're able to generate together can be used to make our world, our community better and healthier places. So if we go back to Paul's letter, if we go back to what he wrote to Timothy and we read the full passage in context, and not take it out of context, it gives us more of a complete picture of what Paul was telling the church. So this is what he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we ain't taking nothing out. But if we have food and clothing We will be content with that. By the way, let me pause and say, when you're walking around or you're outside with the dog or you gotta go do something in the yard, I don't know if you ever get up in the morning and thank God I have food, I have clothing, I have shelter. Thank you, I have a home. Whether it's big or small, rented or paid for, I I have a home, I have transportation. I can go where I wanna go when I wanna go. I mean, I think he really appreciates the attitude of gratitude to say thank you. Thank you. I don't see anybody in here starving. And I'm simply saying, be grateful for that. Be content with what you have. Then he goes on. Those who want to get rich will fall into temptations and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith And pierce themselves through with many griefs. So, Paul is not warning Timothy about money. He's warning Timothy about greed, the love of money. Paul is saying, watch out for greed. Those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap. Paul says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. You start to cheat, fudge, not tell the truth, become deceptive, take advantage of somebody who who is poor in some way you have an advantage to enrich yourself. He says, watch out for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So we get bribes to politicians. Why? Greed that love for money. Doctors who falsely charge Medicare millions of dollars on work they didn't do to get easy money out of the government. goes on every day. Jesus gives a similar warning in the Gospel of Luke. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. He doesn't say, watch out, now be on guard against murder, rape, robbery. Why? Well, I'm pretty well aware if I'm doing that. But he says, greed you're not aware of. That's something you never see in yourself. See, then Jesus says, life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. What does Jesus mean by all kinds of greed? Well, Jesus and Paul warned people about greed because greed is like a trap. If you're going to trap something, I don't want them to see it. It's hard to see in ourselves. You don't have to be rich to fall into that trap. Paul says those who want to get rich fall into this trap and you don't want to be rich to uh, you don't have to be rich to want to be rich okay you can be poor and want to be rich you you don't have to be wealthy to be eager for money you don't even have to have a fortune to love money anybody and anybody with a lot or a little can be eager and love money be greedy and anybody can be controlled by greed now such people usually don't spend much money live modestly, keep it all safely saved so they can feel completely secure in the world. Others want the money to access social circles and to make themselves beautiful and attractive. And these people spend their money on themselves in lavish ways. Then other people want money because it gives them power over others. In every case, money is functioning like an idol. And yet because of various deep idols, it results in very different patterns of behavior. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, watch out for all kinds of greed. Uh, Keller is saying money is just the tip of the iceberg, but beneath the surface, there are a lot more deeper idols and motivations that are at work in our hearts. That's why Paul calls it a root of all kinds of evil. It's hidden beneath the surface. It's not what we think it is all the time. In other words, somebody who saves every penny and never spends any of it on themselves to feel secure and protected and in control of their life is just as selfish as somebody who spends carelessly on themselves to look attractive to others. So for example... I know people that have been on, uh, retired from the military, been on, uh, had disability, had social security, never gave a dime to the kingdom of God. Loved Jesus, never gave a dime. Why? Would would, Would you think they think they're greedy? Would you think they think they love money? Of course they do, but they don't think they do. Why? Because I'm on disability or I'm on social security or I'm on uh, retirement from the military or government job or something like that. I've got, to, I've got to keep it all. See, they don't see themselves as greedy. They would see somebody that's a Elon Musk or somebody as greedy. Several years ago, I was speaking in Los Angeles and I had a chance to visit the J. Paul Getty Museum. It is an incredible art museum located in one of the most beautiful and expensive neighborhoods in Los Angeles. It's named after John Paul Getty, who was a multi-billionaire. He was considered to be the richest living American at this time. Now, despite his incredible wealth, Getty was also known to be notoriously cheap. For instance, in one of his mansions, he installed a payphone so that anybody who wanted to make a call from his house would have to pay for the call themselves. (laughs) Another time, he was with a group of friends. He took them to London to go see a a show, and he had them walk around the block for 10 minutes so the tickets would drop half price after five o'clock. We're talking about a multi-billionaire here. There was a movie made about... J. Paul Getty, in which one of his grandsons, you may remember this, a true story, was kidnapped and he refused to pay the ransom. John Paul Getty, one of the richest people in the world who ever lived and one of the cheapest. He was so frugal, he was cheap. Love money. See, what I'm trying to get at is that you don't have to be rich to be greedy and you don't have to be poor to be frugal. It's a trap and anybody can be controlled by the love of money. That's kinda how it works. And that's why we have to watch out for it in our own lives, in our own hearts. And the only way to break free from that trap is to examine your own heart. See, our hearts have to be transformed by the grace of God. For out of the heart are all the issues of life. That's why a law won't change my heart. It's gotta be, only Jesus can change my heart only Jesus because that's where that's where racism bigotry anger hate bitter that's where it all comes from right out of the heart you can pass all the laws you want won't change my heart at all and that heart is going to affect my behavior so i have to deal with what's beneath the surface i have to look at the roots the deeper idols in all of our lives so at a heart level we have to deal with idols like control security acceptance see anyone can be consumed with thoughts about money, how they're going to spend it, how they're going to get more of it, how they're going to use it, and how they're going to protect it. You can have very little amount and still be in this trap. That's how it works, because we almost never see greed in ourselves. We look at what others have, we look at how others spend, and we're often quick to pass judgment. But we never think we're the ones who are greedy, that I'm the one wasting my resources or that I'm being selfish. See, the reason why that's the case is because our hearts can be deceitful above all things. It'll fool you. Instead of comparing what I have today, San Antonio, to the rest of this world, which almost 90% live on $2 a day, I won't do that. No, no. I'll compare myself to people who have more than me. Then I can't be greedy. I don't have what they have. You see how deceptive it is? So I'm ungrateful. I'm comparing myself to people who have more. And that's the way it works in this world. That's why it's hard to see it in yourself. I only compare myself to those who have more. In his book, Called Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller describes greed like this. He says, money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational impulses. Some people want lots of money till they can control. Maybe it's a form of a job. Maybe my job is my security. Maybe a relationship I worship is my idol. It makes me feel accepted. Maybe it's something we own that's our idol. See, the only way to break free from this is for God to become our ultimate hope and our ultimate love. So when we understand God gave us everything in his son, Jesus, and that he died to make, his, make us his own, well, then we're able to make him our own. Only then is money going to cease to be the currency of my significance and my security. So my, 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 my personal worth is not measured by my net worth. I can lose that net worth overnight, and so can you. And we watch people. It happened to people all the time. People who had everything suddenly have nothing. Wait a minute. If I get my significance from what I own, then if I don't have much, I don't think much of myself. I don't think I amount to much. But if I have Jesus, if I have God, I realize I'm worth the blood of God. I'm worth his eternal life. I, I'm a valuable, significant person, whether I'm driving a Toyota Corolla with 200,000 miles leaking oil or a Mercedes S-Class. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. In fact, some of you ought to get you an old cheap car and drive around town in it and be seen in it for a little while just to realize, well, I'm still who I am. Of course you are. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Of course you are. That, if you're a jackass and you're driving a Mercedes, you're still a jackass, okay? It didn't make you anything hotsy-totsy. You might be six months past due on it too, or a home. But a lot of people get their image, their success by what they wear. By uh, and, and I'm talking an extreme view look nice. That's a good thing. But I'm saying, if that's how you get your image, then all I got to do to destroy you is remove that. Remove a possession. Remove that high-paying job. Remove that title. And all of a sudden, now you see yourself as nothing, worthless, because you got your whole identity from what you had. And Jesus said, man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. It's not against things, but that's not what makes life, he says, right? And that's not going to be my security. If money is your security, then money will be your chief source of anxiety and worry all your life. And I ain't going to give it that. No way. See? So if we want to be generous and bless others with what we have received, the only thing that can break that power of greed over us is generosity. Generosity is the only antidote for the poison of greed. Poisons have antidotes. Snake bites have uh, antidotes. And greed has an antidote. It's called generosity. And we need to learn it when we're children, when, it, when their favorite word is mine, mine. No, no. Mine, mine. Selfishness. That's inherent in our Adamic nature. So as parents, that's where we get a chance with these little ones for, to, to, to demonstrate generosity, to share what we have with others who don't have that and finally get happy about being able to share. You know, if I won a billion dollars and I had a yacht and I had a jet and I had a, a house down on the beach in Miami next to some of the favorite movie stars or people, I could walk in there and it wouldn't produce one bit of happiness, but here comes the happiness. I could call a whole bunch of my friends and get them down on the yacht, get them in that jet, get them in that mansion and serve them and we're all happy. See, that's where real joy comes from. You just sit around in your mansion by yourself or your car by yourself. There ain't no fun in that. Give and you shall receive, see? My security's not in my bank account. It's in God's love and his acceptance. He said, Rick, I'll never forsake you. I don't care how bad it gets, I will always be there. I will supply all your need. So I'm not dependent on the government. If it does help you, thank God, but you better not put your hope in the government or your 401k, you can lose that you can lose that. My identity is not found in my net worth or my investment portfolio. My identity is found in the fact I am a redeemed child of Almighty God. My father is a king. I don't have to be in control of anything, see, about what other people think or how I'm viewed because I know what he thinks. I know what he thinks when he thinks about me. Now, if that's true, and if our security and our acceptance and our worth is not found in what we possess, but in a God who loves us, well, shucks, what more could we possibly ask for in this life? What more could we possibly want if that's true? Faith in Jesus changes everything. It changes everything in us, and it changes us from the inside out. Now, when we get that, when we accept that, and when we understand that, money and greed and worry lose their control over me. They lose their power over our lives. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either be consumed with one or you'll be consumed by the other. You'll be consumed with greed and worry and anxiety. You'll just think about it all the time. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, the book of wisdom says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Greed is never satisfied. It's like a drug. Got to have more. Got to have more until you die. See, if money is your God, ironically, it'll cost you everything to serve it. But if you love God and if God is your master and you serve him, you're free of those things like greed, anxiety, and worry. And you're free to love and free to give and free to serve. You'll be free to do all those things because you will know that I'm already paid for. See, that they're already paid for. Jesus paid the ultimate price to have me, to have you. I don't need anything else to give me value. Now, this is Paul wants to take Timothy and steer him away from this trap. He says, so godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is recognized as I'm coming into the world with nothing, and everything we have is a gift from God. Your mind, your ability to think, your cleverness, you got that from God. You didn't go choose it. You were born with it, that innate ability to perform with that gift. God gave that to you. You should be grateful He gave that to you. If that's true, our job is simply to be a good steward of whatever we have been given, of the gifts that we've received. Our job is to manage, to steward the resources God has entrusted into our care. I mean, don't you want God to say, George, you did good. You did what I made you to do with what I gave you. Whether you had five talents, two talents, or one, you maximize what I gave you. You get the same reward as the guy with 10. Doesn't matter. So you are an investor (laughs) this morning. You are investing your time and your talent and your treasure every day. Would God say you're a good steward? See, not only does God give us what we have, he blesses us with abilities and skills and talents to earn and acquire and achieve everything we have. I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful to my heavenly father because I could have been born in any other country at any other time in history. And yet I believe like Esther, you and I have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We're in the right place at the right time. And we're the right person at the right time, whether you know it or not. God didn't make a mistake. And everything I have and everything you have is simply on loan. It's a gift from God. And one day when I leave this world, I won't leave anything behind. There won't be a it behind the hearse. And if you see one, it'll be loaded with all my clothes out of my closet that Cindy got rid of. (laughs) See, contentment is recognizing I came into the world with nothing and everything I have is a gift from God. I'm going to be a steward of it, whether it's a little or whether it's much. And that's what Paul is explaining to his young friend Timothy. Paul goes on to say in chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, snooty, condescending to others, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is very uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy what you have. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So, how does somebody get life like that? How do you live a life that's truly living? Paul says, You can live a life that's truly life by putting your ultimate hope and your ultimate love in God the Father. I'm not putting it in what I own, how much money I make. I'm not going to put it in your health or your looks or your career. He says, I'm putting it in the Lord. He says, you can live life that's truly life by finding your identity, his His love for you, his acceptance for you, and live a life that's really life by stewarding all the resources, all of the gifts that God has brought your way so that it reflects his grace and his purpose in your life. You know, if you talk to the Lord sometime today, if you happen to be by yourself, I hope your conversation and prayer would go something like, Heavenly Father, thank you for every second I have, every penny I have, another day on planet Earth that I have, more than a billion years or a billion dollars, I'm grateful to have you and your love. Help me to use all of my time, all of my resources in ways that will reflect your goodness and your glory to the glory of God. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.